BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. What if the other classified documents Trump stole and stashed at Mar-a-Lago were from the Mueller investigation? What if those boxes are not just the result of some Trumpian dine and dash from January 2021, but of a detailed plot to take classified documents, specifically about Trump and his conspiracy with Russia, and pick the ones that made Trump look good, claim Trump had declassified them, and then make them public? What if the plot had been described for months on the record with the accuracy and persistence of a sports play-by-play announcer by a Trump lackey with a big mouth, a Trump lackey named Cash Patel? 
That Trump would want Mueller's documents was a hunch I had in the hours after we discovered that the FBI went in to retrieve top-secret classified documents from Mar-a-Lago, but before the bigger headline came that at least some of those documents related to nuclear weapons, the kind of thing that got the Rosenbergs arrested for treason and then convicted by Trump's own mentor, Roy Cohn, and then executed. Naturally, in the light of all that, the hunch slipped to back of mind and it would have stayed there because obviously the newest news of Trump land comes from the courtroom of Judge Bruce Reinhardt. Um, as far as Judge Reinhold, I still have this burning question as to why he felt he needed to recuse Attention himself. Trump lawyer Alina Haba, that's Judge Reinhardt, not Judge Reinhold. Reinhardt now says he is inclined to release at least some of the affidavit the Department of Justice and FBI produced as support for the search at Mar-a-Lago, and he has given the government until next Thursday to propose redactions so those folks in the government have a new hobby. By the way, if Reinhardt releases anything the Trump mob likes, watch how quickly he will go from being doxxed to being lionized, or if he releases a lot from the affidavit, canonized. But back to what was my hunch. Of all the classified documents Trump would have wanted to steal, nuclear weapons documents included, which would matter most to him? The stuff in the boxes marked Mueller. Again, this was just instinct. For all I know, everything in the boxes is the highest form of classified nuclear secrets. But now there has been reporting that puts a little meat on the imaginary bones here. This is not my work. This light bulb went off over the heads of Laura Rosen and Ryan Goodman from the excellent news site Just Security. They put these elements together, and I am grateful that they did, and I hope you are too. This starts with John Solomon, a one-time journalist so dishonest he was dumped by The Hill, by Fox News, and by The Washington Times twice. He was the first person to report that on the 3rd of June, prosecutors had delivered a subpoena to Mar-a-Lago for missing classified materials. This guy, who literally makes stuff up left and right, was the first person we know of to know about that subpoena. And on June 22nd, Cash Patel, a pop-eyed former assistant to Devin Nunes, whom Trump seriously wanted to make head of the CIA, went on one of the nut job streaming networks and announced he had been appointed as one of Trump's representatives for all business involving the National Archives. Quote, I'm going to march down there. I'm going to identify every Russia Gate document they're keeping from being declassified, and I'm going to start putting it out next week. Sending Cash Patel one of the guys who tried to mess up the Biden transition, into the National Archives to cherry-pick Russia and Mueller documents and use the favorable parts to try to clear Trump, blame the FBI, and circle back to Hillary. That was June 22nd, the same day federal investigators went to Mar-a-Lago with a subpoena for the security camera surveillance videos there. And then the next day, June 23rd, John Solomon, the same guy I just mentioned who knew about the subpoena nobody else knew about at the time, announced that Trump had also named him as an NAR, National Archives representative, with access to the National Archives to look at non-public records from his administration. Politico reported it. Few noticed. I didn't. Quoting them on June 24th, Solomon said Trump specifically directed the archives to give him access to documents related to... The Russia probe, 
that were declassified in the final days of his administration. John Solomon and Cash Patel, two of the craziest, most dishonest men in Trump world, and boy, is that saying something, are sent by Trump to the National Archives to find classified documents about Russia and the Steele dossier and Mueller and goodness knows what else. And the same day, the feds knock on Mara Lagoon's doors demanding the security video there. Trump is obsessed with vengeance about his conspiracies with Russia. He must convince everybody in the world he was innocent and he was the one who was wronged. Just two weeks ago, when the news of the search broke, his lackey, Sean Hannity, brought up the Russian P-tape. Even though Trump got away with it, this is all still front of mind for him. Well, now, Ryan Goodman, an attorney, former special counsel at the Pentagon, now of just security, went completely down this rabbit hole. Trump's attempts to send two loony operatives into the National Archives, where they would grab and publish classified documents, And Goodman found the plan goes back at least a month earlier than we knew and uses the exact same rationale that Trump's defenders are now using about the stuff found at Mar-a-Lago. Patel would release these classified documents while claiming Trump had declassified them verbally or maybe silently just using his mind. In May, Goodman found, quote, Patel spoke with right-wing media outlets about Trump's objectives in retaining these documents. He began laying out the defense that the documents had been, quote, declassified, unquote, and specifically identified Trump's goal to release information publicly. He described the content of the documents to include matters related to the Russia investigation, but also a much broader range of issues. Patel then gave these quotes to Breitbart, that's the dead and drunk conservative site, on May 5th. It's information that Trump felt spoke to matters regarding everything from Russiagate to the Ukraine impeachment fiasco to major national security matters of great public importance. Anything the president felt the American people had a right to know is in there and more. Trump declassified whole sets of materials in anticipation of leaving government that he thought the American public should have the right to read themselves. End Patel quote. ABC News has also gotten into this story. It brought up the network's interview with Patel on June 21st, and he said all this stuff to them. ABC found a Patel podcast interview in which he also said all this on June 22nd. And another podcast in which he said it on July 4th. And said his plan was to, quote, retrieve documents from the National Archives and put them on a website and, quote, make a big announcement every time they published a new one. All told... Six interviews in which Cash Patel said, Hey, look at me, I'm about to pinch stuff from the National Archives. So before there was a subpoena delivered to Mar-a-Lago in June, and before there was a day-long search of Mar-a-Lago in August, and before there was the possible release of some of the affidavit in August or September, this guy Cash Patel was basically stopping strangers on the street and saying, I'm going into the National Archives and I'm going to grab all the Russia documents I can find and Trump is going to claim he declassified them and we are going to publish them on a website. Back to Ryan Goodman at Just Security and what we know pretty clearly is a plan, a plot, a scheme, not merely to take classified documents from the National Archives, but make them public 
In other words, the boxes at Mar-a-Lago aren't the whole crime. They are just the end result of a crime scheme. As Ryan Goodman writes, quote, If that scheme involved Trump himself and the Mar-a-Lago documents, it could have significant legal implications for the Justice Department's ongoing criminal investigation. Any plan to release the documents could potentially trigger specific elements of the Espionage Act and other criminal statutes designed with the core purpose of preventing unlawful dissemination of classified and other sensitive government documents. In layman's terms, Cash Patel's big mouth could turn Trump's criminal possession classified government documents into Trump's conspiracy to steal and disseminate classified government documents. And as Roy Cohn could have told you, that's known as espionage. Goodman also notes at Just Security that one of the documents voluntarily released by the Department of Justice at the affidavit hearing before Judge Reinhardt on Thursday showed there was a possible violation of 18 U.S. Code 1519. This law literally comes with multiple choice boxes to justify a search. One box says a search for a person. One box says a search for property used in a crime. One box says a search for fruits of crime illegally possessed. And one box says evidence of a crime. Many thought that only the box reading fruits of crime illegally possessed would be checked, meaning this was all only about getting the documents back. But that box is checked, and so is the box for evidence of a crime. In other words, the search at Mar-a-Lago was also about establishing the grounds to charge people with crimes. Trump, looking at you, bub. There's one last Trump story that ties this all together and beautifully. The British newspaper The Guardian reported early in the week that the big thing in Trump land right now is finding the rat. Some employee who had tipped off the Department of Justice, Hugo Lowell reported in The Guardian, that first they thought it was Nicholas Luna, the Trump body man who quit in March, or maybe Molly Michael, the former Oval Office operations chief who stayed with Trump, has submitted her resignation to Trump but has not left his side yet. And where did they get these names? Nicholas Luna, Molly Michael. Then they thought, no, it's not them. It's got to be employees at Mar-a-Lago, maybe at the golf course. Finally, citing unnamed sources, Lowell reports the Trump mob focused on, quote, anyone who had not yet been suspected, including members of Trump's family, unquote. So this is a puzzlement. Who tipped the DOJ and the National Archives that Trump had boxes of secret materials over there near the Mar-a-Lago pool? Who? Isn't it obvious? Doesn't this new reporting by Just Security spell it out? The National Archives and DOJ and FBI found out there was a plot to steal secrets, disseminate secrets, and then claim invisible declassification of secrets because this moron, Cash Patel, kept talking about it for four months to everybody who would stop long enough to listen to him. There isn't a mole. There isn't a rat. There isn't a source. 
there isn't a family member who secretly hates Donald. There's a Trump cultist who said, hey, I'm going to go take documents. Everybody come watch me take documents or, or go look at our website because after I go there to take the documents and I've taken the documents, we are going to post the documents. Yay for stealing documents. Still ahead on Countdown, the Republican congressman who insists that the FBI director appointed by Trump was actually appointed by Biden. The county Republican party that used a logo on Facebook showing hooded members of the KKK has now apologized. I don't get this story. Ap- uh, apologize? What, why they're apologizing? See, Republicans and, uh, and KKK and hooded Klansmen. What's the, what's the apology for? CNN cancels its media criticism show and fires the host. This augurs really badly for any attempt to keep the network's new Trump-friendly owners from swinging it to the right, because the guy they installed is a guy I used to work with at MSNBC, and boy, do I know him. Plus, Worst Persons and James Thurber. That's next. This is Countdown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Coming up, Mike Lindell promises this time he really, really means it. This, his 729th election vote summit, this one will really be the one that convinces you or his name is not P.T. Barnum. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need whom you can help. Every dog has its day. For this one, we go to Philadelphia, where Carlos has been at the SPCA shelter there for 1,252 days. Unbelievable. He's so good with other dogs, volunteers say he should go into an adults-only home that already has dogs. And they think he'd be good with cats, too. Why is he still in the shelter? He's nervous. He needs time to adjust, and he's a black Pibble Terrier mix, and people who go to a shelter... Ignore dark dogs. Medium-sized. If you're in the Philly area, give Carlos a chance. Behavior at PSPCA.org is the email. Or just go to my Twitter feed for dogs in need, Tom Jumbo Grumbo. There you will find the tweet about Carlos to see photos, email addresses, links, all you need. And you can also help him by just retweeting my biography of Carlos. Spread the word, Tom Jumbo Grumbo on Twitter. Thank you. Coming up here... In worsts, a Republican candidate reminds you that you're, quote, voting with the ballot before we have to vote with bullets. CNN's first lurch to the right. They fire the guy who gets more flack from the right wing per minute of airtime of anybody on cable news since me. And James Thurber's wonderful fable, The Peace Like Mongoose. But first, postscripts to the news. Some headlines, some thoughts, some snark. Dateline, Dayton, Ohio. You could almost set your watch by them. Republican Congressman Mike Turner, the one who said Trump did nothing wrong because you could find that nuclear stuff on your phone. And anyway, the documents are two years old. He went on CNN yesterday and explained that this is all happening because Joe Biden appointed the FBI director, Chris Wray. When the host pointed out that Trump appointed FBI Director Chris Wray, Turner would not concede the point. Quote, he serves at the pleasure of this president, so he is an appointee of the current president. Which sounds great until you remember that the phrase serves at the pleasure of the president is not a real thing. It's just a line from the TV drama The West Wing. Dateline Jackson, Wyoming. Turns out Harriet Hageman, the ex-never-Trumper who unseated Liz Cheney in Wyoming, is already lying. Hageman, she's the one wonderfully described as looking like every member of the comedy troupe Kids in the Hall if they were all playing the same character at the same time. Hageman told Sean Hannity that Cheney was not gracious in defeat and did not concede, quote, she didn't address any kind of concession or anything else. 
Politico has found a tape of somebody recording Cheney as she left Hageman a voicemail, and the voicemail went as follows, quote, Hi, Harriet, it's Liz Cheney calling. It's about 8.13 on Tuesday the 16th. I'm calling to concede the election and congratulate you on the win. Thanks. Bye-bye. Look, it wasn't the Gettysburg Address, but it sure sounds like it addressed the concession that Hageman had lied about and said it didn't address, and she lied about it. Dateline Florida, the Overstock CEO nut guy, Patrick Byrne, filed one of the motions that would unseal the Trump warrant affidavit. In his sworn affidavit accompanying his motion, Byrne says he personally heard Trump on December 19th, 2020, appoint as special counsel with top-secret security clearance... Sidney Powell. This is somehow supposed to explain Trump stealing stuff. And speaking of which, Dateline Springfield, Missouri, it's that time again, another Mike Lindell summit. No, 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 really. No, 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 no. Don't shut off the podcast. This is the one. This will decide all of it. Nobody on earth will be able to say the 2020 election wasn't stolen after this one. Quote, I'm telling you, everybody, it's over for them, he says. Because this is the moment of truth summit. 12 hours of impenetrable bullcrap on Saturday, and then 12 more hours of more impenetrable bullcrap on Sunday. And then another summit like when, like, whenever pillow sales drop off. Don't forget to use the special code for $2 off one of these crap pillows. Uh, our special code this week is sucker. <laughs> This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. From the world of wide sports, what position in any sport produces more controversies per star than NFL quarterback? The National Football League and its Players Association have now settled the Deshaun Watson sexual misconduct disaster, or at least they think they have. They have agreed that Watson will be suspended for 11 games without pay after he was accused by more than two dozen massage therapists. The Cleveland Browns quarterback will also pay a $5 million fine. He'll undergo an evaluation by behavioral experts, and he'll have to adhere to their treatment program, and then he can apply for reinstatement. Watson issued a fulsome statement over his own name that included the words disciplinary, support, apologize, pain, accountability, best version of myself, etc. And then Watson met with reporters and said, quote, I'll continue to stand on my innocence just because, you know, settlements and things like that happen doesn't mean a person is guilty for anything. I feel like a person has an opportunity to stand on his innocence and prove that we proved that from a legal side. Well, it's nice to see Deshaun Watson has clearly learned his lesson, his lesson and how to game the system. It's much simpler for fans of Tampa Bay's anti-Diluvian quarterback, Tom Brady. They just don't know where he is. The 45-year-old Brady has now been away from the team for eight days, tending to, quote, personal things somewhere. And the man who said that, Coach Todd Bowles, says he doesn't know when Brady will be back. He won't even begin to worry about it until, like, Sunday. There's no definitive date for me, Coach Bowles says, but we'll check on it. We'll keep in touch, and we'll find out. 
So if you've seen Tom Brady, please call 1-800-OLD-QB-12. That's 1-800-OLD-QB-12. We've put out a silver alert for him. Still ahead on the firing of Brian Stelter by CNN, it is far worse than you're being told because the guy who did it used to be Joe Scarborough's henchman at MSNBC. First, the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze, the prime minister of Norway, Jonas Gar-Stor. You will recall hearing Monday about the execution of Freya, a female walrus who had been driven 1,200 miles south of her home and into the waters around Oslo because of climate change. When the humans in Oslo would not listen to the authorities, warning that they had to stop risking their own safety by getting so close to the 1,300-pound and very friendly walrus, naturally Norway solved the problem by killing Freya the walrus. Now, Prime Minister Thor has defended the decision, saying Norway is a seafaring country and, quote, sometimes we have to make unpopular decisions. Meanwhile, anguished residents have already raised 236,000 kroner, which is about $25,000, to build a statue of Freya. Maybe put up a statue of this idiot prime minister, too. Our runner-up, Stephen Lowell, a Twitter bot avatar come to life, who is running as the Republican candidate for the Minnesota State Senate in District 52. He's bald, he's bearded, he's wearing aviators, and he's threatening anarchy. We need to grow our teeth back fast, he said at a campaign event in the suburbs of the Twin Cities. So part of those teeth in this particular set of terms is voting with the ballot before we have to vote with bullets. Didn't you always think that if somebody campaigned like that, they'd just get arrested on the spot? Oh well, FYI, in case you prefer your government not by bullets, the Democrat in District 52 is the incumbent Jim Carlson. Go Jim. But our winner is the Lawrence County Republican Party of Alabama, which welcomed a new chairman on its Facebook account by posting an image of a red, white, and blue Republican elephant. Then it turned out the white spaces between the elephant's red legs formed the outline of the heads of hooded members of the Ku Klux Klan. Apparently, they just Googled the image and found one online and didn't look too close. At least that's what they're saying. It had been run originally in Mother Jones magazine in 2020. Chairman Shannon Terry writes, I would like to offer a deep and sincere apology. A picture of a GOP elephant was used and later found to have hidden images that do not represent the views or beliefs of the Lawrence County Republican Party. Wait, they're apologizing? The Republicans of Lawrence County, Alabama, are apologizing for using hooded Klansmen in their in their logo. I mean, why? I don't I don't understand. Why is this on here? I don't. I mean, Klansmen, G, GOP, twenty twenty two. I mean, that, what's the apology? What's the apology for? The apology is for copyright infringement. Is that it? I just I just don't. Lawrence County, Alabama, Republicans. Today's. Worst persons in the world!
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey guys, it's Steve Cavino from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck... You buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Billy Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me, like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it gonna like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Time for our number one story on the countdown. And since it is the weekend edition, we will give you your Thurber in a moment. But for once, things I promise not to tell is topical. So it will make a rare appearance on the Friday and weekend edition now. Yesterday, CNN canceled its weekly show reviewing the media, Reliable Sources, the only such program in mainstream television. CNN also fired its host, Brian Stelter, after nine years at the network. I've had problems with some of Brian's work since he founded the TV Newser blog while he was in college in 2004, later at the New York Times, but I've never had any problem with his intent nor his work ethic. And his stuff on CNN made him such a target from the far right that you would have thought he was me or that he was on the air 17 hours a day on CNN rather than once a week. The reason was simple. After MSNBC cut a deal to stop calling out Fox News, pretty much, nobody 
in television, called out Fox News and the rest of the lunatic right propaganda machine, except Stelter. His firing was no surprise. You may not know it, but CNN was recently taken over by a company owned by billionaire Trump donor John Malone, and Malone intends to very gradually reduce CNN to, at best, 24 hours a day of both sides-ism. Think Michael Smirkanish on a loop. Stelter did the most damage to the right, therefore Stelter was the first to go. He will not be the last. CNN's new president, Chris Licht, is there to dismantle the liberal parts of CNN. I know this because I worked with him at MSNBC, where he decided that part of his job was to try to dismantle the liberal parts of MSNBC. When Stelter was fired, the Daily Beast's impeccable media guy, Lachlan Cartwright, reported that, quote, everything about this rollout points to Discovery board member John Malone and Discovery CEO David Zaslav, a source familiar with the situation, told the Daily Beast. Chris Licht did not want to do this. I'm sure the quote is accurate, and I'm sure whoever told Cartwright that believes the quote to be true, but it misses the point. What Chris Lick wants to do is whatever John Malone and David Zaslav tell him to do. He is a corporate lackey. Worse, he's a corporate henchman. So here's the story I promised not to tell. Perhaps the most amazing thing about my 10 years at MSNBC was the fact that Joe Scarborough and his producers, especially his chief henchman, ever got their own show on the air because nobody I have ever worked with in radio or television, in sports or news, in the 20th century or the 21st, ever spent more time trying to screw with other programs on the same network than did Joe Scarborough. And until just about the time I left in 2011, the guy he sent in to do most of the sabotage for him was this henchman guy. The reason this should matter to you now is Scarborough's henchman was Chris Licht, the new president of CNN. And if they scoured the nation to find the worst person to run CNN in a time when democracy is threatened by one political party and tepidly defended by another, it's Chris Licht. I know, I know. You turn on the TV and you see Joe Scarborough and you see exactly what I see. A blank, dazed, darting, paranoid, no-soul, stupid, check-engine-light look. But if you don't trust me, trust my scars, my Joey scars. Behind that vapid face is a master saboteur. Early in 2008, the late Tim Russert called me and warned me that the GOP had upped its pressure on me. He said he had heard from somebody in New York that somebody in New York was going into the office of the president of NBC News saying that Joe Scarborough couldn't get his friend John McCain to come on to his new morning show because I was so critical of McCain on Countdown. Tim was not sure it was Scarborough, but if it wasn't, who else could have gotten in to see the president of NBC News other than Scarborough or his executive producer? The evidence for the new CNN president, Mr. Licht, being directly involved in interfering with programming to benefit somebody else's friends or political cronies was vague in 2008, but not at all vague two years later. Early in January 2010, the Republican candidate to fill the Senate seat of the late Ted Kennedy, Scott Brown, the former semi-nude model, was at a rally 
when one of his supporters talked about, quote, shoving a curling iron up the backside of the Democratic Senate candidate, Martha Coakley. Scott Brown clearly heard the remark from the crowd and responded, quote, we could do that. On January 18th on Countdown, I did a brief commentary about how unsuitable Brown was for public office. I said he was, quote, an irresponsible, homophobic, racist, reactionary, ex-nude model, teabagging supporter of violence against women and against politicians with whom he disagrees, unquote. I had quotes from Brown. I had videotape of him disparaging his minority opponent in a local election to her face at a debate to back up what I said. An hour later, Joe Scarborough commenced a tweet storm against me. Quote, Olbermann calls Brown a homophobic, racist reactionary who supports violence against women. How reckless and how sad. It's no longer enough to simply disagree with someone. I'm sorry, I just fell into my Scarborough impression. Just as when Beck called a president racist, this sort of rhetorical extremism must be discouraged. It cheapens the debate. End quote. And impression. Now, there was a standing rule at MSNBC. You want to criticize another MSNBC personality? Go ahead. Have a blast. But it must be on the air on MSNBC, and the other person must have an opportunity to reply in real time in the same show or in some kind of face-to-face way. No hit and run. No Joe Scarborough tweet storms. If you criticize them by name or by inference in any other medium, newspaper, interview, radio, social media, you were to receive an automatic suspension. The next day, January 19th, I called the president of MSNBC, Phil Griffin, and I asked how long Joe Scarborough's automatic suspension was going to be. Griffin asked me to come into the office a little earlier than usual and to go see him. He said he had already had a meeting about the tweets that morning with... Scarborough's executive producer, Chris Licht. Griffin explained that Scarborough, according to Licht, considered Scott Brown a friend. More importantly, Chris Licht warned Griffin that if Griffin followed through and enforced the suspension rule, Scarborough would have no other option than to go to the press and tell reporters, especially reporters at right-wing websites like Tucker Carlson's The Daily Caller, that he, Scarborough, had been suspended because he, Scarborough, was a conservative, but I was a liberal, and that I, and not Phil Griffin, ran MSNBC. What can I do? Griffin was scared. I told him he could fire Scarborough and Licht because they had just tried to blackmail him, and eventually he was going to have to fire them both anyway, but that I knew he would not do this, and that I knew now that he would not suspend Scarborough either. And Griffin did not suspend him. Partial score, Scarborough's friends, two, MSNBC's rules of behavior, nothing. But Phil Griffin did send out a memo to the entire company insisting that anybody who criticized another MSNBC show or host in another medium would be suspended, except Scarborough, who had just done exactly that and then threatened his own employers. On January 25th, Brian Stelter's old blog, TV Newser, got a copy of Griffin's memo. They wondered why Scarborough had not been suspended, so they called the MSNBC president, and they printed, quote, Griffin responds to TV Newser, quote, an important rule was broken. I spoke to Keith, and he said in the spirit of teamwork and the free flow of ideas, he didn't think it warranted punishment or suspension. I also talked to Joe, and he apologized to me 
That's why I made the decision that this didn't rise to the level of punishment, but I felt it was necessary to reiterate my long-standing policy. 100% bullcrap. Reiterate my long-standing policy, which I just did not enforce against Joe Scarborough. The whole thing was totally fabricated. Licht and Scarborough had threatened to smear their own bosses in the right-wing echo chamber. They should have been both fired on the spot. In May 2010, Scarborough said something on the air about a Democrat getting away with not being investigated for something. I forget the details. I didn't bother to look it up. You can if you want. Then, Marcos Molitsis, the editor of the Daily Coast website, and not just a regular contributor to Countdown, but somebody who had been promoting the show and the MSNBC brand on that website every day for five years, Marcos sent a snarky but legitimate tweet questioning Scarborough's credentials to criticize others who had not been investigated for stuff. Marcos invoked the staffer who died in an accident in Joe Scarborough's congressional office. Scarborough then attacked Melitzis on Twitter, inaccurately claiming Melitzis had accused Scarborough of murder. A few days after that, I got a phone call from the MSNBC president, Phil Griffin. And if he got a phone call rather than a call to come into his office, you know he was really scared. Griffin told me, Chris Licht has been in to see me. Joe won't put up with having Marcos Melitzis on his network anymore. Not only that, but Licht says many of Joe's friends who also appear in Dayside and Primetime, won't come on if Marcos Molitsis is permitted to continue here. Chris is insisting that Marcos be banned from MSNBC immediately. Chris says he's afraid that if we don't do that, Joe won't come into work tomorrow. Upon hearing that, I laughed, and I congratulated Phil Griffin on the clear win-win he'd just been given. But Phil was very bad at enforcing MSNBC's rules, but very good at creating new ones on the spot to protect Joe Scarborough and Chris Licht and their friends. I'm banning Melitzis from any further appearances on MSNBC. I said, Phil, he's a contributor to my show. You are suspending my contributor, who has driven hundreds of thousands of viewers to Countdown and MSNBC, and I don't have any say in it. You are owned by Joe Scarborough and Chris Licht. What you now have to worry about is whether I tell this story on the air tonight or I just wait and tell it later. Phil now got conciliatory because he was scared again and said it could be just a suspension if I cooperated. So I called Marcos. He said he enjoyed his contributions to Countdown. He also did occasional appearances on the old Ed Schultz MSNBC show. And he said if there were a chance at resuming them, he'd prefer to at least try that. So Marcos and I went along with Griffin suspending Marcos Melitzis, And to my knowledge, Marcos Melitzis has not been seen on MSNBC since. I wish I had better notes on some of my conversations from the 2008, 9, 10, 11 era about those conversations with the hosts and the producers of the other shows like Schultz and Rachel Maddow's show and even Chris Matthews and Hardball, I must have heard a variation of this statement a dozen times from these people. Guess who was in Griffin's office explaining that such and such is Joe's friend and Phil really needs to make sure we lay off him? Chris Licht. It was usually an expletive in the middle between Chris and Licht. I remember one of my producers at the MSNBC version of Countdown telling me that one of the other producers told him that Licht had gone to NBC News President Steve Kappas with an actual list of Republicans that Maddow and Olbermann needed to stop criticizing because they were Joe's, here's the word again, friends. 
and we were hurting Morning Joe. What's amazing is that setting aside the issues of unrevealed torrid love affairs, when CNN fired its 9 p.m. host Chris Cuomo, President Jeff Zucker, and Senior Vice President Allison Gallust, they fired them in essence because they interfered with CNN content and practices in order to do favors for people who were their friends. Or in Cuomo's case, their relatives. At MSNBC... Interfering with MSNBC content and practices to do favors for friends was seemingly the only reason Chris Licht had a job. So, CNN got rid of left-wingers for a terrible violation of journalistic ethics and then hired as president a right-wing henchman who had committed exactly the same journalistic ethical problems and who, for his act, the first one of his career at CNN killed off the only national television show that regularly held up Fox News, Newsmax, and all the rest to the world to show that they were the threats to democracy that they are. This is CNN. So necessarily the Thurber will be a little truncated tonight because I'm about out of reading material as in I can't talk much longer, but one of his fables is doubly important right at the moment. When I was negotiating to leave MSNBC without anybody suing anybody else, we finalized all the arrangements in the middle of the last show except one. NBC did not want me to read this particular Thurber fable, and I had to switch to another one because they felt in planning to do so, I was attacking them, possibly because I was attacking them. The Peace Like Mongoose is the starting point of my relationship with James Thurber's daughter, Rosemary, and his granddaughter and his publishers. It was my dad, fatally sick in the hospital, to whom I would read Thurber every night, who suggested I should read Thurber on the TV news show. I thought he was crazy. I told him if I did that, I'd probably hear from his literary trust. But I did it anyway. And so I read The Peace Like Mongoose. And I heard from his literary trust. Because at the moment I read this story, Rosie Thurber was on the horns of the proverbial dilemma. A British publisher wanted to put the piece like Mongoose in an anthology for school kids. It is placements like that which keep an author alive. But that publisher wanted to remove one word from the story and Rosie was now torn. Edit her father's work or don't publish her father's work? Unbeknownst to me, she and her daughter Sarah we're both Countdown viewers and we're watching as I read the piece like Mongoose. Sarah then called her mother and said, I think you've got your answer right there. Not long after the British publisher, probably a coincidence, changed its mind about excising the word. Amen. The word, by the way, is mongoose sexual, which is a perfect creation of the perfect James Thurber. And the complaint from NBC was about the moral to the story, which I will not read first. And without any other pointless ado, The Peace Like Mongoose by James Thurber. In Cobra Country, a mongoose was born one day who didn't want to fight cobras or anything else. The word spread from mongoose to mongoose that there was a mongoose who didn't want to fight cobras. If he didn't want to fight anything else, it was his own business. But it was the duty of every mongoose to kill cobras or be killed by cobras. Why? 
asked the peace-like mongoose, and the word went around that the strange new mongoose was not only pro-cobra and anti-mongoose, but intellectually curious and against the ideals and traditions of mongooseism. He's crazy, cried the young mongoose's father. He's sick, said his mother. He's a coward, shouted his brothers. He is a mongoose sexual, whispered his sisters. Strangers, who had never laid eyes on the piece like mongoose, remembered that they had seen him crawling on his stomach, or trying on cobra hoods, or plotting the violent overthrow of Mongoosia. I'm uh, trying to use reason and intelligence, said the strange new mongoose. Reason is six-sevenths of treason, said one of his neighbors. Intelligence is what the enemy uses, said another. Finally, the rumor spread that the mongoose had venom in his sting like a cobra, and he was tried, convicted by a show of paws, and condemned to banishment. Moral? Ashes to ashes and clay to clay. If the enemy doesn't get you, your own folks may. I've done all the damage I can do here, and actually a little more. No extra charge. But this is where I ask you to rate and review the podcast. Fib, tell them it's outstanding and you listen to it twice. The Countdown theme is from Beethoven's Ninth, arranged, produced, and performed by Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, and produced by TKO Brothers. That's... John and Brian and me. The other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. Our sports music, the Olbermann theme from the ESPN2 show, Olbermann, written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Incorporated. Musical comments here and there by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever, and our announcer today was my friend Larry David. That's Countdown for this, the 590th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. A new episode Monday morning. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. 
Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 